It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host John Riley from our Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center studios in San Diego. We welcome you to Hacksaw's Headlines, our Thursday podcast as we go towards a great sports weekend. John, we got a ton of topics on the table. We're going to go a lot of different directions. But before we start, let's just reintroduce for the new people that join us on our live stream fans forum how the people viewing can participate and become part of our live stream part of the live stream just like the the show on 690 1090 you can call in but instead you're going to you know drop your take in the live chat on Facebook YouTube or Twitter we'll see you here up on the screen we'll get you involved in fans forum at the end of Hacksaw's headlines you got a question jump into the chat box Fire questions, we'll give you some answers along the way. That's item one. Item two, Monday is National Championship Game Day. Mm. So instead of a bonus podcast on Monday, we'll be back in here Tuesday. And we've kind of decided that we're getting such great response that we're going to continue to do these bonus podcasts at 1 p.m. 1 p.m. Monday, normal schedule, Mm -hmm. 1 p.m. Thursday. But next week... We'll be on the day after the national championship game. You need to circle on your calendar Tuesday, <laughs> 1 p.m., our bonus podcast. The other item, what are you doing? How come you have not joined our insiders group? You've offended my co-host because he's the one <laughs> that has created the insiders group. John, inform those who have yet to register how they become part of our team. So, yeah, to inform you, to be informed about sports information, get on the Hacksaw Insiders group. You know, we just sent out the best 15 in sports just about 30 minutes ago with all of Lee's updates. And this is a great kind of crib sheet, sort of a cliff notes of what's going on in sports. Go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com in the upper right corner. Sign in in an orange box Lee uh, with Hacksaw's Insiders group. And we've got a lot of great things planned for this year. You won't want to miss some of the things that we're brainstorming that we might want to do with you. So join the Insiders Group. And by the way, you like sports? That's the address of my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. I write on it every day. One man's opinion column, Hacksaw's headlines, the best 15 minutes in sports, and Hacksaw's mini poll, because everybody's got an opinion. Check my website daily daily pal leehacksawhamilton.com and by the way last piece of business subscribe so you'll get all the alerts because we do put a lot of stuff up now on our youtube channel and share tell your friends where we are what we're doing and by the way since we don't have a lot of friends you can give us a thumbs up and john definitely needs a five-star rating so (laughs) go ahead and do that john we got an absolute monster number of things to talk about Our Hacksaw's Headlines brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. Nine locations in San Diego. you got projects for 2024. Think about talking to their people about what you need to get done. They provide materials. They provide direction. Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. Football, baby. Football, baby. National Championship coming up this Monday. You know, all those games just concluded, the semifinals. Here we go. 
Monday Night Football, College Edition. You got big boy football. You got Michigan. You got Washington. That's Monday night in Houston for the national championship. This will be a doozy. In fact, this whole playoff series has been phenomenal. Michigan's calling card is their defense. They go to the championship game, averaging 240 yards per game allowed. Monstrously small numbers, 24 takeaways. The Warriors up front had six sacks and 10 tackles for losses against Alabama. Bama, can you believe that? J.J. McCarthy, the motion offense creating mismatches all night long, just confused Alabama. They're going to cause problems for Washington because I don't think the Huskies have the same caliber of defense that the Tide had. But you got the running back, Blake Corum, who's now got 25 touchdowns on the season. Catch and run. You got Roman Wilson with blazing speed. You got tight ends they throw to. And McCarthy will run some quarterback draws along the way. So Michigan is pretty tough defensively, pretty dynamic uh, on the offensive side of the football. But so is Michael Penix. Over 4,500 yards passing this season. 35 touchdowns. Huskies are averaging 350 yards per game passing. Offense is averaging 473. And how good are they on third downs? 47% conversion rate on third downs. They got Rome Odunzier, outstanding wide receiver, 17 yards per catch. They got the massive pseudo-tight end, Jalen Polk. They got Jack Westover. They got Jalen McMillan. They got every base covered in terms of given targets to Michael Penix. So here's the keys to the game. Uh, can the Huskies go to a spread formation to change Michigan's defense? And while they're in spread, are they going to be able to protect Michael Penix? Can the Huskies go up-tempo, which they have a large chunk of t- the time, and wear out the Michigan defense? Michigan. They're going to play Powerball with Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, run the football, and keep Penix off the field? Does it become a one-dimension game? If they take away whatever Washington is doing on the ground, can they defend the high-octane passing attack the Huskies still have? And can UW be explosive down the field If the pass rush gets to him and he's got to move the pocket to get out of trouble, does that change the explosiveness of the UW offense? I I just think it's going to be a phenomenal game. At the end of the day, you got a defense that causes trouble for Michigan. you got a Washington offense that tortures people. I don't know who's going to win, but I bet it's going to be 45-43 somebody. Something like that. I mean, yeah, because the Washington defense isn't all that great, is it? 396 yards per game, I believe. Yeah, well, you got the data right there. So have the odds makers established a favorite? I would assume it's the Wolverines, right? I would say by maybe three points. And again, I think that changes hour by hour. Interesting. So that'll be a, a really close game. This is going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, I'm all in on the West Coast team. When was the last time a West Coast team won the NCAA championship in football? Like Reggie Bush era? Reggie Bush era. And prior to that, Don James Washington, I believe. Right. And so that goes back a thousand years. That's like, exactly. So um, this is going to be a lot of fun. But you know what's one thing I noticed is... And I've never heard anyone comment on this. I don't know if it's just my quirky way I see it on TV, but Michael Panix's 
I guess his mechanics are a little odd, almost like Philip Rivers throwing right-handed. He throws, it's almost like a sidearm throw in his windup. Have you noticed that? A little bit. Also, at times I've seen him go big windup mm-hmm. to make the play. And that that's a negative because that's, that's another motion, more time off the clock because people are closing in on you. He's not quick flick of the wit. Well, well, I'll tell you what, the results are fantastic. I mean, the bombs, the high arcing, uh, you know, tosses, the bullets, the line drives, this guy has every throw nailed. I think he's going to be a great pro, but I'm, I hope he has a big day. I'm, I'm all in for the purple. You're rooting Huskies. Huskies all the way. I'm rooting for the Huskies. I love what I've seen from Washington, but defense does win games. Would you hold it against me if I wore maize and blue? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know, you've got a lot of other guys around here that you know and I know that are Ohio State guys. So, yeah, you should roll in in your maize and blue and kind of you know yank their chain. Okay. So we go from what I think is going to be a dynamic game, the championship game in Houston on Monday. Who are you watching on TV? Interesting question you posed here. Yeah. I mean, amazing ratings, too, for both of these bowl games. Yeah. Went back and did some research. The TV ratings rocketed. Uh, highest TV ratings since the first year of the college football playoff. Rose Bowl, Michigan, Alabama, 27.2 million viewers for the Wolverines win over the Tide. In the Final minutes of the game, 32 million nationwide were watching the end really? of Michigan-Alabama. Cool. 27.2. The night game, I was a bit stunned. It was not equal to what the Rose Bowl was. The Sugar Bowl, Washington, Texas, had 18.4 million viewers. Uh, at the final series of that game that ended at the 12-yard line, the peak was 22 million viewers right at the end of the game. So Michigan-Alabama won 27-plus, Washington-Texas 18-plus, highest TV ratings since the first year, which I think was Ohio State-Oregon, the first year of the true championship playoffs. I It was dazzling TV. Yeah, I mean, both great games, a lot of marquee schools, big, you know, you have the uh, with the Blue Blood schools, but a lot of the up and coming. Um, and I think this just gives more credence to the fact that people appreciate a four team bracket, you know, because it's and imagine next year when it expands to 12. It's going to I think the ratings are going to continue to go through the roof. OK, but let me can I raise my hand on this? Yeah, sure. OK, here we go. So we're going to 12. John's a proponent of 12. I'm a proponent of the 32. You're going to have bad blowouts. <laughs> along the yeah, way. Of course. I mean, we had Georgia Florida State which was horrible to watch, mm-hmm. 63-3. We had what Oregon did to Liberty. Liberty which was the representative of the little guy, the group of 5. Mm-hmm. Oregon put 700 yards on the board against Liberty as Bo Nix drove him to 45 straight points before they sat him in the third quarter. In the third quarter he mm-hmm. sat. So going to 12 sounds cool. Going to 12 means there's going to be a whole pile of blowouts early stages of these games. But there's is, also going to be a whole pile of of Boise State knocking off the Sooners, running the Statue of Liberty, and all these other kind of fun plays. You're not going to draw me into this discussion <laughs> that football will be equal to March Madness because I don't buy that. Uh, well, I, I think it's going to be, it would be great for TV. It would be great to get fans in the stands. And even if it's a blowout, it's still a party. It'll be fascinating to see if they incorporate now these other bowl games, and nobody's had this discussion, are they going to incorporate and use the Holiday Bowl, the Sun Bowl, some of these other Peach Bowls, the Gator Bowl? They're going to incorporate them to host 
some of these first-round games when one plays 12, two plays 11. Mm-hmm. I would assume maybe that's the formula because the Holiday Bowl contract with the Pac-12, as we've known it, is now expired. Yeah. And they may have some – they say they may have some form of a contract with, with the Atlantic Coast Conference. But I nobody's discussed this at all. Will the 12-team playoff – be a separate entity in addition to all the bowl games, or will they incorporate and say Holiday Bowl? You get to host this first round game, and the same yeah. thing with Sun Bowl, etc. So that's still to be well, determined. They, we just had the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl for the semifinals. So yeah, Holiday Peach Fiesta, those will all be the quarterfinal okay. matches. Okay, this man loves a twelve-team <laughs> playoff. Don't argue with me. I'm a talk show host. I don't think fifty-five <laughs> to six games in bowl games are real good. Uh, go from TV ratings in college football to yeah, look at all. All these different logos here. Sometimes it's hard to find your game on television. Okay, here we go. Uh, final weekend of the NFL season is upon us, football fans, and then we march into the playoffs. So I went back and did research on what has transpired with TV ratings because the TV relationships with the NFL continue to grow and expand. Much to the demise of free viewing. There's so much stuff, John, that's showing up on streaming and outside of you, the rich man living in the gated community <laughs> studios here, I have to come to your place to watch some of these streaming. But Amazon got the Thursday night football package a year ago. First year was a disaster. Uh, had only 8 million viewers per game. They paid a phenomenal amount of money. They had a bunch of really bad games that somehow got funneled into Thursday night. Well, they barked. They got a better schedule in year two. Ratings bumped up a little bit. Went from 8 million last year on Thursday Night Football to 11.8 million this Mm -hmm. year. A bump up. Got some better games. However, they badly trail all the other NFL network deals. Okay, CBS and Fox on Sunday. Rock solid, historical. Everybody knows who they are. 24 million per game. Each network, each network averaged 24 million viewers. Phenomenal statistics. Both of them increased from a year ago. So Sunday, primetime football, very good. Sunday night football, 21.8 million. That's really good because everybody's exhausted from watching early games and the 4 p.m. games. They're zooming back in to see Tariqo and Collinsworth, who I thought did a really good job. 21.8 million. Uh, for Thursday Night Football on NBC. Monday Night Football, ESPN. The most watched games ESPN has ever had since they took over the Monday package. 17 million average on Monday Night Football. I think a lot of people like Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, Mm -hmm. and they've gotten their fair share of showdown games. couple of other notes. Peacock, they had the one game streaming, if you recall, two Saturdays ago. Chargers, Buffalo Bills, when neither Mm -hmm. one of us could find a place to go watch it. We're both steamed. Chargers, Bills, they drew only 7.3 million. It's the worst streaming number for the entire season on anybody's packages. Mm -hmm. So Peacock, not everybody bought into it. Oh, and by the way, speaking of the Chargers, the Charger Raider game, that Thursday night prior. Yeah. The 63-21 yeah, that, game. That fiasco. I expect your resonation on my desk the next morning game. <laughs> they only drew $7.8 million yeah. for that game. Yeah. Nobody's watching the Chargers. Yeah. I mean, so I, that, I, that's I an issue. It. And then we get to Sunday Ticket. Uh, DirecTV, obviously, uh, had it for a while. They had 1.1 million subscribers a year ago. 
it moved this year to YouTube. They had only 1.3 million subscribers at almost double the price. Price was $2.99, went to $4.99. They almost doubled it, and they only got $1.3 million. They need $5 million to break even with the amount of money they gave the National Football League. So DirecTV, sitting there looking at what happened, YouTube must be sitting and say, boy, did we overpay for this? Because we, we came nowhere near to getting the $5 million subscriptions that we need. Like I said, they got only $1.3 million. So that's a summary of, of TV. Thursday Night Football, a bump up. CBS and Fox, superb. Sunday Night Football, rock solid. ESPN, Monday Night Football, uh, with some good games and some bad games. Monday Night Football had the best year the ESPN's ever had. Uh, and then you got Peacock struggling and DirecTV watching the package go away, the Sunday ticket to YouTube and YouTube having its hands full. One sidebar note. Chargers telecasts in the San Diego market. Uh, the Chargers, once upon a time, uh, would draw anywhere from 16 million viewers on Sunday to 21 million. Mm-hmm. Chargers left seven years ago. Chargers telecast now, 8.4 million. They've lost about 60% of the viewership in San Diego that used to watch Chargers football telecast it's way down. Yeah. So that's that's the summary. John, you watch a lot of TV. You're <laughs> as blurry-eyed as I am sometimes on Monday. Go ahead. Your response to what you like or what you dislike about the TV packages. Well, everything you said makes sense because the old school, you know, cable package with Fox, CBS, ESPN, NBC, you know— you know, your your dad, your grandfather, they're still watching NFL with those packages. So it makes sense that their ratings would be strong and rising as the sport builds. But Peacock and, you know, and some of the and, and Thursday Night Football and Amazon, that's the streaming world. And mostly it's mostly younger people that are on that. So this is just going to continue to evolve. I, I see a future for sports media where you're going to a la carte everything rather than buying a big package from Cox Cable or from DirecTV Stream or YouTube TV. I think people are going to cherry pick the one or two or three networks. And that's where this whole thing's going. So over time, these numbers are going to change. And as far as the Chargers go, yeah, of course, the re- the viewership would go down in San Diego. But I, st- I was reading an article or what, maybe it was, was it your best 15 where they were saying how the media professionals or the in, in the NFL see L.A. and San Diego as a continuous market. But I imagine there's a lot of football fans in San Diego say, you know, F this Chargers Broncos mess. I don't want to watch this. There's a lot of other better games on. Was it you that stood up in front of the TV as the Raiders were leading 62-7? to <laughs> Was it you that stood up in front of the TV and they had this shot of Spanos trying to hide in the shadows of his owner's booth? Was it you that did? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, I'm surprised you didn't either. I mean, you've got a grudge against those guys, too. So that's where we are in terms of the TV and media. Hey. If you like what we're doing, we want you to join us on Fans Forum right at the end. Who's going to win? Michigan, Washington. Your reaction to what you like, what you dislike, what TV's going to become. Join us in Fans Forum. Just go to the chat box now so you can get in line. When we wrap up this live stream, we'll give you the chance to ask questions and we'll tell you what we think. And a sidebar question at the end of the argument, aside from why you did what you did to Spanos, um, do you think we'll get to the Super Bowl will be a paid TV event down road? I mean, because yeah. there's mega money. But is that 
fair to society. Well, what what's fair to society? They're providing a product or a service, and people, if they want to experience it, they can pay for it. So, I don't, I don't, I definitely see it going that way at some point, and I don't think it's necessarily a wrong thing um, if the viewers are willing to pay for it. But it's going to ruffle feathers all over the place. Would you expect an answer from this guy in left field? This is the guy that thinks the NIL has been great for college yes, football. That's this good. guy says Trevor Bauer has a right to earn what he yes, is going to earn. Okay, we get to halftime. Our podcast is brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. John, let's talk about projects because I'm not real good at fixing things in my house. But you've got a history of what do you do in the kitchen? What do you do in terms of the man cave. What do you do with a patio and what do you do with a swimming pool and a picnic area and all that? Explain why Dixie Line now becomes your best friend when it comes to projects. You know, it's funny because when we first started the podcast, we were talking about contractors for air conditioning and heating and sewage problems. And we were sharing our war stories about our homes. But, you know, if you want to do it yourself, you can always go to Dixie Line and they've got a staff there. They're going to help you out. They'll give you some advice on the kinds of products and things and tools that you need to do it yourself. But maybe you're not a do it yourselfer. Maybe you've got a contractor that wants to do the work and maybe you want to install some kitchen cabinets. Well, you as the homeowner, you go down to Dixie Line Lumber, sit down with one of the designers. They'll lay out that whole kitchen cabinet, countertops, all the fixtures, and you'll see a three-dimensional view of your future kitchen. And then they lock that in. You buy the product, you hire your contractor, and you can make that vision a reality. Here's the most important thing. My experience, old house, Rancho Bernardo, windows. Needed windows. big time. Went and got windows installed via Dixie Line. Mm -hmm. Made a monstrous difference in terms of cooling in the summer because my house bakes all day in the sun and heating in the winter. So prime example, they helped me. He's used them. They will help you. These guys, Dixon Line Lumber. Most amazing thing. All the housing construction going on here, driving down 15 Carmel Mountain Ranch where the old double tree golf course was. Yeah, yeah. Building houses. Oh, the houses the are exploding. And yeah. what's the first thing that popped in my, my mind when I saw all the frames? Dixie line. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're probably supplying a lot of that lumber to all those projects. Okay, we move on to the second half. Fans Forum is coming up. Uh, before we do, if you're just joining our live stream, we want you to join our club. It's called Hacksaw's Insiders Group. John, quick explanation how they do that. Yeah, so go sign up for Hacksaw's Insiders Group. Go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Sign up in the orange box. Get on the email list. We've got stuff going out all the time, sports content, and we may have some creative ways to get some of the fans involved in the podcast, but you got to sign up to learn more about it. Yeah, just go to my homepage on the website, leehacksawhamilton.com, right on the homepage, big orange box. Just fill it out. You'll immediately go onto the main list for all the things that we've got planned. We go to the second half of the season, and you want to talk NFL football and coaches. <laughs> yeah, Jim Harbaugh, man, he is in the spotlight all week, and maybe is he coming to the NFL? Everybody's asking him that question. And Harbaugh's response this morning in Ann Arbor, I am not talking about Rubenville. I'm talking Michigan, Washington. At the end of the day, he becomes the hot candidate for whatever number of coaching jobs might be open. There's three right now. There could be as many as three more on Monday after the NFL season is officially concluded. Chargers have had this opening for a long time. I think you have to connect the dots based on what he has accomplished. 
44 and 19, head coach 49ers. 75 25, head coach Michigan Wolverines. 53 and 17 in the hated Big Ten. <laughs> That's quite a resume. Now, question marks. Are the Chargers willing to pay him state of the art money? $12 million per season. Historically, they've never done that. Are the Chargers willing to give him complete player personnel authority on roster decisions? They've never, ever done that. Who becomes the general manager if Harbaugh becomes the head coach and director of football operations? He would be answering to Harbaugh. What happens to, thanks dad for the job, John Spanos if Harbaugh comes in the front door? Does John Spanos become Harbaugh's subordinate? Another question, as Harbaugh views the NFL, payday, Justin Herbert, what about the $60 million dead money salary cap? They are paralyzed. Whatever team Harbaugh would inherit is not the team that they'd hoped to have on the field this year that would have been a playoff team because they got real problems. And then there's the intangible history. As good as he's been, starting at USD, going to Stanford, on to San Francisco, and even in Michigan, is a history that he wears people out emotionally. And it always kind of ends badly, and he moves on. Sometimes he leaves wreckage behind. And in the wild card question, if not him, Dan Quinn, defensive coordinator, Dallas. Jim Schwartz, defensive coordinator, Cleveland Browns. Ben Johnson, offensive coordinator, Detroit. Frank Smith, offensive coordinator, Miami. Raheem Morris, defensive coordinator, L.A. Rams. There's some veteran guys out there. Some would view them as, give them a second chance. Some would view them as retreads. So, John, you tell me. Connect the dots. Does this make sense? This guy with this red-hot resume coming to take over the irrelevant Los Angeles Chargers? <laughs> well, it, it makes sense, but we're talking about the Chargers here, and that usually never makes sense. But you know, when we were talking about that game at the Raider game, and Spanos is up in the skybox all frustrated. The story was apparently that he and his his group, his family, just said, we've had it up to here with Brandon Staley and Telesco, and they just pulled the plug on everything. Do you think maybe, just maybe, they're coming to their senses and said, all right, let's just hire Harbaugh. Let's just go for it for once and for all. Or are they just going to be cheap and try to find a way to finagle away from getting a big-name coach? What's their track record of late? Yeah, not I good. Mean, Staley? Anthony Lynn, Mike McCoy. What's their track record with successful coaches? Marty Ball, Boss Ross, Hall of Famer Eric Coriel. Mm -hmm. There's not a track record there to say, I trust these people to make the right decision. But things have gotten so bad, and they are taking such a terrible beating nationally, you got to wonder if maybe they say, okay, let's try something different. Now, add into this conversation, you got Mark Davis and the Raiders, who always go after the shiny object. Hmm. Harbaugh is a shiny object. There will be an opening for the rich new owner of the Washington Commanders. And I got to believe Josh Harris will look at Jim Harbaugh. 
you got the Carolina situation where they have the young quarterback in place, but there's a massive rebuild there, and you're dealing with a crazy man in owner David <laughs> Tepper, who's already fired three head coaches right. and three interim coaches in a short period of time. So there'll be other people out there. So if I'm Jim Harbaugh, I have to look at who's going to give me the best opportunity to win based on potential. And by the way, what's their track record? Well, there's no real track record with Team Spano's first family of football. There's a horrific black hole record with Mark Davis, Raiders, Oakland, in Las Vegas. Crazy man in Carolina. Look at that resume. And you got the new owner in Washington who's got a history writing checks, Josh Harris. Mm -hmm. So I think the Charger job is the best job. But can you trust the first family of football to do anything correct based on their history? No, you, you can't trust them at all. And that's why they're going to screw this up some way, somehow. Um, but I remember reading online, it's, sometimes it's like clickbait, but they're saying Harbaugh's representatives have already met with the Chargers multiple times. I mean, do you think that's true? I think so, because he's not meeting with them. And mm-hmm. by the way, they can meet with them anytime. He's a college football coach. He's not in the NFL. It's a different set of standards. Mm -hmm. Now, they do have to interview minorities, and they will take some time to interview minorities. Mm -hmm. But uh, sadly, that's a terrible thing to say. It kind of becomes a token interview for a black assistant coach or a coordinator Mm -hmm. to visit the Chargers when that's that's the hot candidate. Um, I'll be fascinated to see. By the way, he just hired Don Yee, NFL agent, to represent him. So, yeah, if you connect the dots— I bet there have been some conversations already made, but the Chargers do have a protocol they have to walk through in terms of the interview process. So if you're an NFL fan, if you're a Charger fan, if you're a Charger hater fan, Harbaugh the right fit for the Bolts? Want to hear (laughs) what you've got to say. We go from football. John. We got baseball to talk about. Yeah, the Padres just got another reliever. So here we go. We're bringing uh, Pacific Rim to the bullpen. So what did this host in this chair say last week? And the week prior, as it relates to A.J. Preller and free agency? All I remember is that you picked Alabama in the semifinal. (laughs) We're talking baseball here. Yeah, I know we are. But you've been talking about these Japanese pitchers should be a good target for Preller. And they were. They were a target because I think they were affordable. And I think that's the big issue. That's why there's been no marquee signing here in the offseason. They got serviceable guys. Let's be very honest about that. Um, The guy on the left we'd already talked about, Yuki Matsui. This guy comes with real credentials. Matsui is 38, comes from Rakuten Eagles, Japan. He's only 5'8", 170, but he's kind of what I call the crafty lefty. 39 saves this past season, 1.51 ERA, 238 saves in the career, and he's got four different types of pitches, darts, and dashes. So Matsui was the first. Now they just sign Wusuk Go. Uh, He comes from Korea, LG Twins. He's only 25, right-hander. I've seen some of the video on him. Wicked stuff. 5'10 power pitcher. 139 career saves in Korea, 3.18 ERA. Now, he got a two-year, $4.5 million contract with an option for a third year. Padres have to pay almost a million dollars posting fee. So they've had to write two significant checks here. Wicked fastball, big-time slider with bite. The Padres, as we sit here at lunchtime, 
on our Thursday podcast. The Padres now have nine established relief pitchers on their roster. Hmm. Okay. So they've got enough volume there. Now that includes a couple of the back-end guys that came from the Yankees. They still have the general consensus's big holes at four and five and the insurance policy six spots in the starting rotation. But A.J. had boots on the ground. He himself went there to scout these guys, talk to these guys, he knows what he's getting, and his track record of what he brought from Japan the last time he made the surge to go to Tokyo, really positive. Because, you know, he brought back Suarez, yeah, and he brought back Nick Martinez, and he brought back Luis Garcia. And those are three acquisitions who are affordable, very serviceable. So I think these guys, with the rest of the relievers already in town on this roster— They've solved the bullpen. They still have to figure out, and they don't have much money left. And here's a prime example. They wanted Harrison Bader, the center fielder, the former Mm -hmm. Cardinal fly chaser who was with the Yankees last couple of years and been a very productive guy. They wanted him, couldn't afford him. He just signed with the Mets for $10 million. Mm -hmm. Padres could not afford that high a figure, even on a one-year contract. So they don't have much money left. I do. Th- I still think there'll be one more acquisition of some type of starting pitcher for the back of the rotation, but I think he did about as good as he can do. I love these two uh, acquisitions for so many different reasons. Like on one level, they didn't have to give up any of their farm. The signings for these guys, relatively speaking, is affordable, and they can kind of plug some holes. You don't need all superstars. We don't. I mean, we'd love to have Joshua Hader there, but you know, you need to have complementary players. These guys could be that. And I love the whole Pacific Rim strategy. Not only is Preller zigging when a lot of other teams are zagging, but it's just cool for the fans here on the West Coast in San Diego. And you know, you know, Hassan Kim has been such a a fan favorite. I think we're going to see a lot more of this international blending um, of players of cultures, and I think it's only positive. I think the cool thing is that the Hassan Kim knows Koo very well. That I mean, knows Go very well. That's a positive, and obviously. Padres have a history of sorts with pitchers from Japan, a.k.a. Yugo Darvish. So I I think these are two acquisitions. They've solved the bullpen numbers. Still got to deal with that. Now, Mm -hmm. there's a sidebar question that John came up with while we're having coffee and arguing. Uh, Who's left out there that they might still look at? Yeah, let's take a look at the board. You got a couple of names, and one of them is a Japanese pitcher. Well, both of them are from there. Uh, we're talking about Yario Rodriguez. He's a Cuban who's gone to Japan and polished everything. He's 26, uh, pitches for the Chunichi Dragons, 46 and 37 record. But there's competition. The Cubs want him. The Red Sox are interested in Rodriguez. I don't know what the price tag is going to be, but he'd be a back-of-the-end rotation guy. The other one, and I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm surprised he's not signed anywhere yet. I don't understand why. Shota Imanaga, a left-hander, Yokohama Bay Stars, 30 years old, 74 and 55, rock-solid control artist. A little bit of concern, though, because he's given up 134 home runs in Japan. That may chase some teams away. I was told... Mets, Boston, Yankees, Angels, Giants, all interested in him. I've not been able to dig up what the price tag is, but those two there. Now, there's one other late-breaking story as we came on with our podcast. The Yankees 
in contact with Blake Snell, reportedly mm-hmm. are making an offer through this weekend to try to get him signed. Scott Boris client. Boris represents Soto. Yankees history of dealing with Scott Boris. And suddenly the marketplace for Blake Snell has kind of jumped up. So do you think they go back abroad or do you think they stay at home and spend whatever they can spend to rent a guy like a Michael Waka, like they did with Seth Lugo? Yeah, they're going to have to make some interesting moves here to fill in, like you say, four and five. I'm wondering if Vasquez or Brito might be, you know, they came in the Soto deal, if they might be able to fill some of those spots. But Preller is plotting and his guys are, you know, wringing their hands and making phone calls, you know, and it's something's going to happen and it's going to be boom, boom, boom. Like when they signed Darvish and traded for Snell and that was a few years ago. Um, the Imanaga guy, it was interesting. You said he was from the Bay Stars, and that's who Bauer pitched for. And remember, Bauer had that cryptic tweet about like teams contacting him, asking their opinions on guys he's working out. I wonder if he was talking about Imanaga. Connect the dots? Yeah. yeah. And I th- think so. Yeah, that might be the guy. So and Bauer's really peeved that everybody's now using <laughs> him for information about somebody else because they're not signing him. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the Padres have more work to do, but I like these two signings. What do you think about the Snell situation? I mean, he has to sign sometime. Where do you think he's going to go? Well, you know, it, it makes sense, Yankees, because, you know, they need the big name. They wanted Yamamoto, and he wasn't available because the Dodgers signed him. But I just wonder if Blake Snell could handle New York, you know, because he's such an interesting kind of quirky guy. Offbeat. Yeah, very much so. And I don't know how that would ro- run with Yankee fans and old school New York baseball f- people. But, you know, if he can get the money, if he can get seven years, 25 mil from Steinbrenner, man, go for it. Angels ought to sign this guy. Oh, Angel, big time. I mean, he would be the front of the rotation. He'd stay in Southern California. The media pressure points are not the same in Anaheim. We're not the same in San Diego as they'd be at Yankee Stadium. So this will be fascinating. You're a baseball fan. Like or dislike what the Padres have done, you need to join us in Fans Forum. That's coming up just around the corner. John, we got one other topic on the table. Uh, one more, yeah. I mean, we're talking basketball, and man, the the Aztecs p- pulled out a can of whoop-ass last night. This guy. This guy <laughs> sitting down on the floor. I recognized him, even though he was wearing red and black paint <laughs> on his face. Uh, San Diego State comes off the huge win. Gonzaga starts slowly sledgehammers Fresno State. Terrible beatdown. Uh, I will give credit to Jadon Ladee. He's facing every conceivable type of defense there is in the world, and he's weathering it. You know, he had he had a one-for-six start. He sat. He had one basket in 19 minutes, and then he got hot, and he wound up pouring a lot of points through the hoop in the second half of the game. Uh, Aztecs had a little bit beat up, bit of a scary injury to Reese Waters with the ankle. Don't know if he gets to play the second league game against Vegas, but they're pretty good. Here's a sidebar story. Nobody's paid any attention to this. San Diego State is sitting there at, is it 13-2? and two? I think it's 12-2. and 12-2. Yeah. San Diego State's 12-2. and two. The top five teams in the Mountain West who have all completed their non-conference schedule. Combined record, 71 and 11. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Now, they're diving into conference play. You know, Aztecs play Vegas this week. The game of the weekend is going to be Colorado State, Utah State. They're both 13 and 1. 
So they'll start knocking each other off along the way. But, man, there's a bunch of really good basketball teams in the conference. And San Diego State just made huge strides. And aside from Ladie and the three guards, I will tell you that some of these kids, Miles Bird especially, and Saunders, some of these kids are really grasping the opportunity. And halfway through their first opportunity this season, they're making a lot of plays with him. Suddenly the bench has kind of matured a little bit. Well, remember Brian Dutcher was asked about Saunders and Bird, and he said, yeah, they're good players. They would be playing on any regular team back when they were freshmen last year. But, you know, they were just so loaded with all those seniors, fifth and sixth year guys. But it was just a it was just a beatdown, and I kind of felt bad for Hut, you know, coaching over there for Fresno. Dude's on the last year of his contract. I don't see him continuing there, but he's a good guy. But um, man, it was just it was a beatdown, and and Viejas Arena was full, and people are just digging the vibe. And now we're in a conference play, so we'll see how they do against UNLV. Um, they seem like UNLV is a team that has a lot of really athletic, you know, power players, but at the same time, they're all individuals, maybe not working. And as a team, Aztecs could get ambushed, and it would be on the big boy Fox, you know, so or big boy CBS. I can't believe you stood up. You stood up in that front row seat wearing <laughs> red and black paint. You were pointing at the Fresno bench. Come on, John. You're in the media. No cheering in the press box, more yeah. or less. By the way, speaking of basketball, we got the Lakers. They look like they're about to implode. They had an ugly game against the Miami Heat. On Wednesday night, they got smoked at home. The Lakers are sub-500. They're 3-9 and nine since they won the, quote, NBA Cup tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd never seen LeBron James walk off the bench before the game was over and go to the locker room. He did. With about 30 seconds ago, he just got up and walked out. And evidently, there was an incident in, within the locker room after the game. Uh, nationally, it's now being reported that there's some real... Boom, boom, boom between Darvin Ham and the players over Ham's continual changes in the lineup, his substitution patterns. Uh, players just have, have there's no rhythm to anything that's being done. You got AD, you got LeBron, they're doing what they're doing, and there's been no consistent support help. Darvin Ham's response is we're not going to find any consistency till we get everybody healthy. We're not healthy. They got so many nagging injuries right now. So, Lakers just kind of look like they're about to implode. And it'll be interesting to see if they can gather this thing back. But it's sure evident to me that LeBron and AD have to play 35 minutes a night for the Lakers to be in these games. And what's the wear and tear factor for those older guys to have to do that many minutes that for the rest of the season? Yeah, this is this is weird. Yeah, especially after last year, they get to the Western Finals, they win the in-season tournament, and you're thinking, hey, and they won the off-season, right, with all the player acquisitions. You thought the, the sky was looking positive for them, and now it all goes the other way. So, yeah, I mean, how old is LeBron? I mean, he's in his mid-30s, right? He's 38. 38. Okay. And AD is no young pup, is he? He's probably around 30. So, yeah, it just kind of makes you wonder about the strategy. But, you know, if you play for the Lakers, you know, it's like a reality show every day for those guys. There's got to be a lot of pressure on them. Well, you got Rui Hachimura, who can't stay on the floor. He's he's had three different injuries or only a third of the way into the season. And they got problems with Cam Reddish. They got problems with the guard that came from Miami. Gabe Vincent's had knee surgery. Those are the three components. They said, okay, this is going to be a difference maker joining 
the the big three. D'Angelo Russell's been benched. It gave him a multi-year contract extension. His game has been streaky. And Austin Reeves has not been what Austin Reeves was a year ago when he caught everybody's fancy uh, and kind of caught the league by surprise. Said, Boy, the, their components just don't fit well. As we sit here doing this podcast, they're 11th in the NBA West. The Lakers 11th. are 11th. Wow. If the playoffs started tomorrow... They'd be like you and me watching the games on TV. But there's still a lot of basketball to be played. But, boy, there's some stuff going on within. All of a sudden, the coach who seemed to figure it all out last year at the trade deadline when they gave him different players <laughs> hadn't been able to figure this out again. So I don't know whether it's personnel or it's injured personnel that have made the big difference. Playoffs? You talking about playoffs? We'll be talking about playoffs <laughs> when we go forward. Hey, Hacksaw's Headlines brought to you by Dixonland Lumber and Home Center Stores. Nine locations to serve you. Been in business for more than 100 years. It's time for John's favorite part, because all of his best friends have joined us. John, fans form. Fans form. Here we go. Let's go to John. And he says, streaming is not the way to get your games in front of viewers. Just ask the Pac-12. Oh, bingo. You hit that nail on the head. And by the way, they want your money. This stuff is not free. I. It kind of it, it drives me crazy because I like Thursday night football as a launching point for the great sports weekend, even if some of the games are garbage. Geez, now I've got to pay to see Thursday night football, and now suddenly they're taking games off my TV on the NFL Saturday schedule, and they're putting on Peacock. Where is Peacock? What is Peacock? <laughs> I, I just hate this, that the league, which is making volumes of money, is always reaching for your wallet for the next creative idea. Mm-hmm. That that really drives me crazy. Because the ticket prices are unbelievable. The league is selling out. And they're just like, you want to watch us? Pay us. Well, it's, I think it's also these new streaming networks. I mean, everything, you know, Netflix changed the world. And so now all these Peacocks and Paramounts and all the big networks have their own streaming option. They're probably hound dog in the NFL to get rights, knowing that if they get NFL, they're going to get a lot more subscribers. So, you know, it's not just that the NFL is reaching for money. Everyone's reaching for money, including these new streaming platforms. Okay, move on. Next question. Okay, let's go down the list here to 4RXLA. He says, if Michigan wins the title, Harbaugh will be like Jimmy Johnson when he came to Dallas and could win a few Super Bowls. Hopefully Mark Davis hires him, but he's already paying millions to fired coaches. Yeah, he's Mark Davis is writing a ton of checks to a ton of different people that are no longer working for the man. Uh, it's an interesting uh, assimilation of Jimmy Johnson. You know, he was just inducted into the Dallas Cowboys Ring of Honor uh, this past weekend. And, I, you know, I, I was the voice of the Chargers just when Jimmy Johnson wound up going to Dallas and they walked into a bad situation. He, a lot of people forget they were 1-15 in 15 his mm. first year. Troy Aikman was 1-15. in 15. But he was a really good player personnel guru and worked well with Jerry Jones. And they're the ones that engineered maybe as bad a lopsided trade in the history of the National Football League. Uh, The Herschel Walker transaction, Mm -hmm. Minnesota Vikings, 11 for 1. And that brought them Aikman and that brought them Michael Irvin and that brought them Emmett Smith. And Jimmy Johnson was brilliant. Uh, Harbaugh walking into a situation with the Chargers. It's not as acute from a lack of player personnel as it was when Jimmy Johnson went to Dallas because he inherits a really good quarterback, but he also inherits a monster salary cap problem, and he doesn't have any smart people around him. There's nobody from the first family of football that I would trust to make the right <laughs> right football decision. But that's an interesting comparison that the potential of what the Bolts might be with Harbaugh 
is kind of like what the Cowboys became with Jimmy Johnson. Isn't it weird how it's like a crapshoot hiring coaches? You know, you think you're getting the hot guy and they're a dud. Or sometimes you get a guy like Antonio Pierce and they kind of do better than you expected. But there are certain coaches that kind of have that magic touch, right? And they can go from one franchise to the next and flip it around and make it successful. And so, I, yeah, I think I think Jimmy Johnson is one of those kind of guys. Um, and there's there's been a few others. No, Shanahan. Shanahan's a good one. Um, who else am I thinking about? Oh, the, 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 remember the old guy that uh, um, Dick Vermeil. Remember he won Super Bowls for two different teams. But uh, Andy Reid. Andy Reid. Yeah, he's in a couple another uh, magic dust kind of thing. But it's hard to identify that, don't you think? And also, you have to have the unique relationship, team chemistry, correct philosophy with the general manager. Mm-hmm. And that's that's that not always a perfect science along the way. So. Hey, we'll see when the college football championship game is over on Monday. You think there'll be a few headlines? Harbaugh, Chargers, effective on Tuesday? Yeah, I mean, you know it, you know, especially the two, uh, Black Monday when everything goes south for the NFL. Here, let's go to another one here. Let's go to Michael. He says, Hi, Lee. What is the status of the lawsuit between Dean Spanos and his sister? Is there a real possibility the Dean would have to sell the team? Well, she has alleged that he has mismanaged the team to the point they have to keep taking new bank loans to pay off other bank loans that are coming due. However, the, there was a a theory that she would have to go to NFL arbitration over this lawsuit, and that never happened uh, because it's like going to a kangaroo court because Roger Goodell is the judge and jury in the arbitration process over contractual disputes. The last report, this goes back about six months, was that Diaz Spanos, the sister, had agreed that she would sell all, I think it's 34% of everything she owned. But the price tag is monstrous. I was told it's like $775 million mm. if somebody wants to come in and buy 34% of the franchise uh, f- from the foundation and the ownership of the team. Has not happened yet. Uh, they've kept the lid on it. I guess as long as she doesn't speak out about it, we probably won't know until the sale officially comes before the Board of Governors for approval. But uh, she she wants out, and she's going to get her price to get out. And I don't know if Dean's going to buy her out, because then Dean would have to go to another bank to get another loan. <laughs> and I just don't know what his ec- real worth equity is right now. Imagine spending $775 million and only getting 34% and with not having controlling interest. I mean, that's how insane these numbers are for these teams. You spend, you'd spend you spend all that money to sit in the skybox with the first family of football. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, with probably no Taylor Swift up there, that's for sure. Next question. M- moving on, let's go to Emmanuel. He says, if the Chargers don't get Jim Harbaugh, then who would be the next head coach for the Chargers? If they're going to venture uh, to the offensive side of the football, but you're hiring another first-time hot offensive coordinator, that has not worked. It'd be Ben Johnson from Detroit, who's been the architect for what they've done to rescue Jared Goff, make the Lions really good. If not him, Frank Smith in Miami. Smith, Tua, look what they've put in place with the Dolphins there. I would say those would be the offensive guys. If you go defense, you got Dan Quinn, who did a great job in Seattle with the Seahawks, took the Atlanta job, actually got him to a Super Bowl in Atlanta, got fired. Uh, went to Dallas, has reinvented Cowboy defensive football. Uh, Jim Schwartz from Cleveland might be a long shot. He failed really badly in Detroit. Uh, Raheem Morris, that's a recycle coach with the Rams, used to be in Tampa Bay. He got bounced. So there's a myriad of veteran guys there. So that the question is, if not Harbaugh, 
then are you going to take a run at a hot coordinator who's never done it before as a head coach, or do you want some proven commodity who's reinvented himself? So, John, which door do you open? Yeah, again, this is why I say it's like a crapshoot. You don't know what you're going to get. I mean, obviously, they, they should go all in to get Harbaugh, but the Chargers are fools, and they make bad decisions all the time. So I don't know. Of, of those other guys, I mean, to me as a fan, they're all kind of in the same murky water. They're all potentially good, but I don't know which one has the magic dust. Guy avoided give me. That was an answer, not answer. But I don't know the answer. I mean, how am I supposed to answer it? You're so. a talk show host. You're supposed to know everything about everything. I do. <laughs> yeah, you, of course you do. We move on. Okay, let's go to Zach. He says, Jim Harbaugh would have more talent with my Chargers than Jimmy Johnson had with the Cowboys exactly. starting out. Well, we just, just talked about the roster that he inherited. I, I remember the first year I was the voice of the Chargers. They went 1-15, and and they were miserable. But they flipped that thing, and they flipped it within two drafts. By virtue of the, the foolhardy trade the Minnesota Vikings made, the Herschel Walker 11-for-1 transaction was just terrific. But uh, they made great progress. He was a great coach. I was surprised after the divorce from Jerry Jones. He never coached again. He just kind of walked away from it. And I thought he was a just a vibrant, vibrant guy. And it was, he's beloved by his players. And so... It, it was interesting, but Harbaugh would be getting a better team. But this is a different era now. They've got the salary cap problems with the Bolts are really, really severe. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do here with these guys, but they've got a big decision to make, and they're probably going to flub it on Harbaugh. Go ahead. Moving on here. Let's uh, let's go to Bill. He says, no way Harbaugh returns to Ann Arbor next season, right? Not with the huge NFL contracts that will be waved in his face. Well, it's a combination of that and then the Pete Carroll syndrome. Is he running out the back door before the cavalry gets there to arrest him? You know, the— there's a notice of allegations that just was issued last week uh, about violations at Michigan as it relates. This all spins back to what you and I talked about six months ago, the COVID violations. And, you know, Tennessee got put on four years probation and didn't get banned from a bowl game this year. But they stripped them of so many scholarships that in Knoxville, they're not going to win now for the next three or four years, even with Josh Heupel being the head coach. That was for COVID recruiting violations. And if they did that to Tennessee, and you got the same set of circumstances at Michigan, I could see that happening to Michigan. So the question, you know, Bill, we got to ask, is Harbaugh running out the door because the sheriff is coming with a citation? You violated the COVID recruiting violations in 2020. You're going to get put on probation. So that might be as much as equal to the $12 million offer to jump back to the NFL. And John Riley says? I think you're right. I think, yeah. I, I think, know I'm right. yeah, You know you're right. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's like Pete Carroll. He's like exited USC when the, when the, you know, the stove got hot. So I think the same thing is going to happen. Imagine if Michigan wins the national championship, then all that hell breaks loose. And uh, and they would they have to forfeit the championship? Could you imagine that? I think there's big questions. Would the NCAA nail these guys and take away wins? I tend, I tend to doubt it, but obviously there was a sanction already uh, with Harbaugh getting suspended three games for the sign stealing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. I, I, I don't think that'd be quote that'd be to me that'd be double jeopardy. And I I cut class the day they taught law at Ohio <laughs> University to go drinking uptown. So I'm not sure about double jeopardy, but I don't, nah, I don't think so. But Harbaugh, they may get put on probation. Maybe there's a bowl ban if if indeed the COVID thing is as significant as I think the COVID thing is. Yeah. Right, let's, let's move on. There's a lot of Chargers and Harbaugh comments here. Here's one from Callan. He says, do you believe that Mark Davis would hire Harbaugh to keep the Raiders 
relevant in Vegas, knowing they're kind of in the shadows of the Golden Knights and even the M- WNBA Aces. Nah, I, they they hire Harbaugh. That's exciting. You know that they don't have a quarterback at this point in time, but that's why there is free agency that'll kick in uh, in the spring. So Harbaugh to Vegas restamps who they are and what they represent. He wouldn't be the shiny object that you're reaching for because, like I say, look at the record at Michigan. Look at the record at San Francisco. Uh, there, there's quite quite a record on his resume. Okay, yeah. we got baseball here. Hey, baseball fans. Baseball fans here. I think we will if we go over to social media. So let's go take a peek over there. And who do we got? Um, let's go to... I threw John a curveball. Oh, yeah, here it is. Swung and missed. Yeah, this is a Trevor Bauer comic. Every time we post Trevor Bauer content, people just explode. (laughs) Like, he was innocent, and it's a sham. And so here's a comment here from John. He says, he shouldn't have to apologize. It happened behind closed doors between two consenting adults. You're totally ridiculous. That girl is a con artist. Yes, yes, and yes to probably all of that. But there's a toxicity there that involves three different women. There's a lifestyle decision there that chases people away. I am... I am surprised somebody has not signed him to a one-year free agent contract. But again, it's the first week of January, so these deals can still get done. Maybe he still arrives here, and whoever signs him has to take take the heat that they're going to get because he is a talent, but he's a toxic talent right now, even though you and he think it's okay what he did. Well, I don't say it was okay what he did, but he's not, uh, you know, he's not under prosecution from the law. But even if you set aside that whole, you know, con job from the girl and everything else. The dude is, you know, when he gets pulled from a pitching, you know, he throws the ball over the center field fence and he does all these other goofy things. He would be a PR nightmare to manage. So, you know, well, that or a resident free agent in today's society. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Hey, let's go here to a comment here about the Bolts. This is talking about Hacksaw here. It says, used to listen to Hacksaw when he was used to announce for the Bolts. His radio shows were awesome. Always clowned the Nazi Raiders fans, LOL. Can't do that now. Too offensive. Oh, uh, Raider fans. I used, to, I used to just drive Raider fans. <laughs> and Raider coach is crazy. Um Funny story. I mean, at the peak of the popularity at 690, as the Chargers were getting better and better, Art Shell was the head coach of the Raiders. And I liked Art Shell a lot. I respect what the man became from tiny Maryland Eastern Shore to become a Hall of Famer and then a head coach and had some success. So we we do a game up at the L.A. Coliseum against the Raiders, and we're we're done with the post game show and all that. And it's it's late, and we're leaving and walking to the tunnel through from the tunnel. Elevator came down to, into the tunnel, and then you walk up the tunnel and you go out to the parking lot. And here's a guy in a Mercedes just coming up behind me, honking the horn. So I stepped over the side. He pulled up and stopped, rolled the window down. It was Archell. He said, <laughs> I don't agree with what you said about the Raiders. I said, that's okay with me. Art, thanks for listening. He laughed. So real, really nice gentleman. Al Davis wouldn't say that to me. There was a smirk, and some of the Raider executives didn't like me. Freaking Raiders coaches all listened to me. It was absolutely hilarious. And I like some of those players. I just I thought Marcus Allen was one of the, just one of the great players oh, yeah. of all time. And I got to know Jeff Hostetler. He was from West Virginia, and I really liked him. Not that I rooted for those guys. James Lofton and I became friends, and he was one of them. We're in the silver and bleak. So uh, it was it was great. And the best with the fans, I just used to bang on the fans all the time. And the greatest compliment I ever got was at halftime of a Charger Raider game at the L.A. Coliseum, and we're killing them. We were going to the Super Bowl that year. We had the halftime, 
And my broadcast partners, very popular guys, Jim Laslovic, Pat Curran on the broadcast. And we look at each other. It was like 30 seconds to go. And I made the comment, somebody cooking hamburgers, somebody burn the hamburgers. We get to halftime. This Raider fan, because the press box was right there just atop the stadium, right next to the fan seats. This guy's coming up right to the radio booth. I said, oh, Raider fan, painting everything. He offered us joints at halftime. Really? You guys want some marijuana at halftime? It's, that's what I was smelling. It wasn't hamburgers for certain. So I, I loved antagonizing the Raider fans. And that, that's what makes this fun, you know? And that's what, this, back in the early days of 690, we hadn't had anything like that. And now all of a sudden the Raider fans are talking smack to Charger fans <laughs> a lot more than we normally would get in the 1980s and 1970s. So that what, what a great time that was. I mean, and what a cool thing to run into a shell like that rolls down his window. Who was the other offensive lineman on the Raiders? Was it Unseld or it was another, like a guard and a tackle? It was Art Shell and... Um, Upshaw. Upshaw, not unselled. Jim Otto. Jim Otto, oh, yeah. Great. Uh, but, but those guys were just beasts. I oh, mean, yeah. uh, what, a, what a great offensive line. Okay, a couple more here before we put a lid on this. All right, let's go here. You know, we got a couple of comments here from people that watch the Slapshot content. Uh, this one's from Wayne. He says, I have a great photo with the Hanson brothers when they came to our hometown. I'm six foot three and I look small besides those guys. I fit in the, uh, the jersey, 16, 17, 18, and 19. They signed my beer league jersey and talked a bit more before they. They headed out. Uh, cool guys. Uh, that was a cult film. Those guys have lived off that cult film. Uh, one of the cool things they did, this goes back about maybe, I don't know, 15 years ago. They started doing tours of minor league cities. The three, quote, brothers would come into your building and put on a show at halftime. Like the you know, San Diego Chicken or something like yeah, that? Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, they'd come to a goals game. Not yeah. that they've been here, but they'd go to minor league hockey towns and they'd make these different appearances cool. for a fee. And uh, they were beloved. So if you've never seen the hockey movie Slapshot, you got to see the hockey movie Slapshot. Uh, Netflix, is that how you find it? Or you go on YouTube? or Well, I, I know there are pieces of it you can see on YouTube. And yeah, just whatever you're streaming, if you're on Amazon Prime, it might be there. I haven't looked for it. Oh, uh, you can find it in the library. You okay. go to the library and they've got the DVDs of a lot of different movies. You just put in a request. I'd like to order a hold on the movie Slapshot. You got to see it. If you... if. <laughs> I got hockey friends who had never seen it. I said, you got to be kidding me. What, yeah. Where you been? Go out of the house once in a while. Uh, but we had a lot of fun taking that stroll down memory lane. Well, there were just so many positive comments on the <laughs> Slapshot comment. Here, here's one more. And this one's from William. And he says, Bruce, Bruce Boudreau was an extra in the movie. And it was his apartment that Paul Newman used. Bruce Boudreau, I think, has played for every team on the planet. <laughs> um, and I, I've known Bruce for a long period of time. And of course, he's a former NHL coach. He'd been with the Kings and Washington Capitals, etc. Uh, but he, he he came from Toronto. He was a diminutive guy. He was as big as I was, 5'8". He could score, and he could skate. And he played for the, quote, Johnstown Jets. Oh, he did. And he lived yeah. in the apartment that looked down on the closed steel mills on a, a hilly street. That was his apartment. Small one-bedroom, sleeping living room, blah, blah, blah. Right. That's the apartment they used for Paul Newman's apartment in Slapshot. Perfect. Yeah. Isn't that perfect? Yeah. Bruce Boudreaux's just 
career lifer in <laughs> hockey and had, has had a really good career. Hey, listen, we hope you've enjoyed our Thursday podcast going towards a great sports weekend. A couple of programming notes. Want you to join our insiders group. Go to my website right there, leehacksawhamilton.com. Takes you to the homepage. There's a big orange box. Fill out the information. You'll start getting regular emails. We got some things we hope to spring on you in 2024. Also, share, subscribe so you'll get all the alerts every time we put something new on the YouTube channel. Monday is National Championship game. John and I will be yelling at the TV, uh, Michigan versus Washington. Our bonus podcast will be Tuesday, Tuesday, and we move this sucker to 1 p.m. West Coast time. We're getting so much response. It's absolutely amazing. So hope you will join us on Tuesday for our podcast and, of course, then back in our regular schedule on Thursday. Podcast brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. Build it. Fix it. Guarantee for 2024 you will enjoy it. John, have a great sports weekend. Stop wearing red and black paint. Oh, yeah. The Aztecs are rolling, man. They're going to do it again this year. Have yourself a great sports weekend. We'll talk to you come Tuesday on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com. 